The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus. But the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to them he addressed this parable. What man among you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, would not leave the ninety-nine in the desert and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he does find it, he sets it on his shoulders with great joy, and upon his arrival home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in just the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. Or what woman having 10 coins and losing one would not light a lamp and sweep the house, searching carefully until she finds it? And when she does find it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found the coin that I lost. In just the same way, I tell you, there will be rejoicing among the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he said, A man had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. So the father divided the property between them. After a few days, the younger son collected all his belongings and set off to a distant country where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation. When he had freely spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he found himself in dire need. So he hired himself out to one of the local citizens who sent him to his farm to tend the swine. And he longed to eat his fill of the pods on which the swine fed, but nobody gave him any. Coming to his senses, he thought, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food to eat? But here am I, dying of hunger. I shall get up and go to my father, and I shall say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. So he got up and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But his father ordered his servants, Quickly, 
Bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Take the, fa <coughs> Take the fatted calf and slaughter it. And then let us celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Then the celebration began. Now the older son had been out in the field, and on his way back as he neared the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what this might mean. And the servant said to him, Your brother has returned, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf, because he has him back safe and sound. He became angry. And when he refused to enter the house, his father came out and pleaded with him. He said to his father in reply, Look, all these years I served you, and not once did I disobey your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat to feast on with my friends. But when your son returns who swallowed up your property with prostitutes. For him you slaughter the fatted calf. And he said to him, My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice, because your brother was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. When we were deciding where to have Mass this morning, just as I said, I think we can be outside, it started raining. Now, I'm not saying that was a warning shot from heaven, but I wasn't going to take my chances. We have a remarkable series of parables that Jesus sets before us today that St. Luke identifies all together as a single parable, a single teaching. These three related examples that Jesus uses as a single answer to the Pharisees and the scribes who don't understand the preoccupation Jesus has with those whose lives are disordered in some way. And we want to pause there and thank God for this, because if the Lord was only concerned for those who have well-ordered lives, I think most of us would be pretty well in trouble. And so his answer is this related series of parables which we often think of separately. The Good Shepherd and the Lost Sheep, the prodigal son, the woman sweeping for her coin. But notice how Jesus gives them all at once as a set. And so it's a single message that runs through this, this marvelously complicated and rich series of stories. But he begins with a question. And it's an important question because of how crazy it is. He looks at them and he says, 
Which one of you, if you had a hundred sheep and one wandered away, would abandon 99 for the sake of one? And Jesus asked the question in terms of who wouldn't do that? And if we're honest with ourselves, our hearts are going to say, well, actually, Lord, I wouldn't. I'd cut my losses and be willing to lose the one. I certainly wouldn't leave 99 in the desert while I went out after the one. And so right away, the Lord is phrasing this in terms of what is obvious to him. What is obvious to heaven is not at all obvious to us. And if we really want to understand what's going on, we have to learn the fact that heaven operates differently. He begins that way because he's saying, by the standards you guys have set up to the scribes and the Pharisees, this doesn't work. But heaven doesn't work according to that standard. What is obvious to you is not what is obvious to the Lord. And so the Lord begins with this odd, ridiculous example. Who wouldn't do this? And why? Because we see that heaven refuses to cut its losses and run. The mercy of God is not content with 99 when he started with 100. <coughs> but the other interesting thing about the parable those 99 sheep in the desert don't seem to be bothered by missing one of their brothers. That's the other interesting thing about this example. The shepherd goes and looks for his sheep, but the rest of the flock seems pretty indifferent. And know what else he's saying then. There's something about the flock that's not quite capable on its own of finding the one who wandered away in fact, there's often a lack of concern. And now the Lord is saying, somebody's got to worry about the one. And then he goes further with another crazy example, the woman who loses one of her ten coins. And she sweeps the house trying to find the coins, and we figure it's because her funds are limited and she needs that coin. But then as soon as she finds it, what does she do? She throws a party and spends it. Because again, the issue is not monetary value. The issue is not merely an economic or a transactional sense of gain and loss. The issue is the joy of recovery. The joy of finding what one seeks. And then the Lord now moves into this justly famous parable usually described as the parable of the prodigal son. Now, you two guys right here, would you happen to be brothers? Yes? Well, good, stand up and come with me. I think this is why we're supposed to be inside, because God was going to hook us up with brothers in the front. All right, turn around. They only look scary, so don't worry about everybody. I'm assuming you're the older brother? And you're the younger brother, then. What are your names? Justin. Justin and? Christian. And Christian. Okay, Justin and Christian. A man had two sons. These are my demo models. <laughs> two brothers. A man had two sons. You guys are good brothers, right? Okay, generally. Christian shrugged his shoulders. I like this guy. 
A man had two sons, two heirs, two upon whom the future of the family is resting. And the younger son comes to his father and says, hook me up with my inheritance right now. Have you ever thought about what it would be like if you had your own money and you could do whatever you want it, whenever you want it? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Let's be honest, everybody here does too. In fact, sometimes the older we get, the more we think those things. You notice Jesus doesn't tell us how old the two sons are. Maybe they're adults, maybe they're teenagers, we don't know. But we know the younger son has a sense of, I need to get on with my life. And if I wasn't tied down here, there's all kinds of things I could do. Think of your own situation when that restlessness comes into your heart. If I wasn't tied down with my responsibilities. If I wasn't trapped where I am. If I only had some resources, oh, the things I could do, the things I could experience. So Jesus is here beginning with a state of the human heart that we all know. And as we get older, that doesn't necessarily leave us, that, that restlessness, that discontentedness, that sense of if only I could decide for myself, choose for myself. And if I just had the resources. And you know, when we think that way, we're always dreaming big, aren't we? Everything's going to be better. Everything's going to be different. So here's Christian, and he's ready to conquer the world. Come with me. So he goes to his dad and says, look, I'm young, I'm talented, I'm ready. I just need a start. I don't want to wait for my inheritance. I'd like it now while I'm young enough to enjoy it. So the father says, okay. And he takes all of his property and he divides it up. And he gives Christian his inheritance. And he gives Justin his inheritance. Justin receives what his father gives him <coughs> and stays home. Oh, but Christian's, Christian dreams big. And there's a big world out there and all kinds of places he could go and all kinds of fun he could have. So he's going to go and do that. So as soon as Christian gets his inheritance, he goes. Come with me. He goes, we hear. He doesn't go next door. He doesn't go down the road. He goes. And don't worry, Mom, I'm not taking him out of the building. <laughs> but he goes. And don't bump your head on the microphone. He goes. And let's go back this way now. But he goes. He goes as far away as he can get. And it's not because he doesn't like his brother. And it's not because he doesn't like his dad. He goes because he's after the things he wants. And going out for that fun, for those experiences, without him even realizing it, it takes him far from home. In the same way, when our hearts fixate on things we want, we become reckless and we become forgetful. 
It's not that he hates his family, but what he's seeking is pulling him out of his family. It's pulling him away from home, and he doesn't even realize it because he's so busy chasing it. That happens, doesn't it? We say life pulls us apart, but the reality is oftentimes it's the things we're chasing pull us away from one another. And so it is that this son is away from home and he's his own boss. No one's telling you what your bedtime is. No one is telling you you have to go to school. No one is giving you homework to do. There are no chores. You can watch as many movies as you want, play as much Nintendo as you want. You are your own man. He's liking this a little too much. And that's exactly what the younger son did. Notice what Jesus says. He squandered his inheritance. He took the wealth that he was given. And he squandered it. He spent it badly. He wasted it on what Jesus describes as a life of dissipation. This is what the word prodigal means. He's not the prodigal son because he went far from home. That's our modern misinterpretation. He's the prodigal son because he recklessly spent away everything he had been given. Prodigality is wasteful spending, reckless spending. And notice what Jesus says. It was a life of dissipation. And when something dissipates, it gets spread thinner and thinner and thinner until it fades away and there's nothing left. He didn't throw it all away at once, but on one pleasure, on one pursuit at a time. He who started with the wealth of the family finds himself with empty hands. We do that, don't we? We waste our time without realizing it. We waste our resources without realizing it. We waste our talents without realizing it. And if we're honest and we look at how we've lived, for however good, much good we've done, we also have to be conscious of how many opportunities we've missed, how much we've wasted. And so here it is that he who has many friends while he has his money suddenly finds himself with no friends when he has nothing. But he also finds himself poor and empty-handed and far from home. In the meantime, though, there's Justin. Remember Justin? And we have, to, we have to stop and remember Justin because while he's out playing Nintendo all day, somebody's got to do the work. And so Justin is at home, and he's with his dad, and Justin's responsible, and Justin is doing now double work at home because you don't have the help of your brother anymore. Is that fair? No. <coughs> Would you be thrilled by that? Not really. Not really, OK. But here's Justin, good, faithful Justin, gritting his teeth, doing all the extra work, and he sees how heartbroken his father is because his brother has left home. And he's aware that his brother isn't even thinking about them. You wouldn't like that, would you? No. 
And here's our young friend Christian. Now a poor guy. Now with nothing. In fact, <coughs> you don't even have enough to get a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> and coming to that point, he realizes I have nothing and no one is helping me. And he can't even find a good job. And so he goes to a guy who gives him a job taking care of pigs. Have you ever fed pigs before? No. Would you like that to be your career move? Not really. Not really. You don't want to be the guy who shovels the food to the pigs. And let's not forget that we're in a Jewish context. A young Jewish man can't sink any lower than caring for pigs. Jesus is saying he lost all of his dignity. And he's in the worst possible place. And it's not just that he's the servant of the swine. He's jealous of them. Imagine, have you ever been jealous of a pig? He's jealous of the pigs because the pigs have something to eat, and he doesn't. How amazing this story that Jesus tells really is if we tease out the details. This is why it's worth pausing and considering these parables in detail, because there's so much hidden within them. But imagine that, sinking so low. Have you ever been jealous of a pig? Nope. No? Would you want to be? No? Nope. Nope? Good. Imagine that, to sink so low, to realize that's how much dignity you've lost. And note, none of this was because he was a bad guy. He didn't set out to hurt anybody. And yet, how easily he squandered himself. That happens to us. And it's at this point that something happens. He realizes not just what a mess he's made. He realizes not just what a failure he's become. He also, Jesus says, comes to his senses and says, why am I staying here? This is a moment of real heroism and real grace. How many of us, when we realize that we're ashamed, we're embarrassed, we've failed, the last thing we want to do is have anybody see us? We don't want to go back. We don't want anyone to know because we spoke so big. We talked such a good game. And it comes to nothing. The last thing we're naturally inclined to do would be to go home and see those people we boasted in front of. And yet that's what he says. He says, let's go and walk again. We do a lot of walking in this story. And so there he is, the servant of the pigs, jealous of the pigs, who says, I maybe can't face my family the way I'd like to, but I know at least there I can find a place and there'll be something for me. So we're going to go over this way this time. So you just stay right here for a second, because now we need our third demonstrator model. Christian's dad, where are you? Come here. See, you thought you were off the hook. <coughs> 
this is important. There's Justin, faithful Justin, doing all of the hard work. There's Christian, far away, wishing he could eat the food that the pigs had. And there's Dad. And Christian decides he's going to come home, so start walking this way. Go. Go meet him. Because amazingly, his father sees him before he even gets close. And no, stop right there. And so he meets him, look, he meets him on the way. Now, how many of you would be thinking, if it were my kid, I'd make him take that long walk up the driveway, and I'd give him that look, and I'd make him feel every one of those steps. We would do that, wouldn't we? But not this father. Again, heaven works differently. His father, even though he was out of sight, was watching for him every day. And every day he was waiting for the moment he came back. So that when he made his move, his father was not going to let him come back home alone. And he meets him on the way. And he doesn't make him take the long walk up the driveway by himself. He walks him back. What a marvelous, marvelous image that is. He walks him back. Now, think about the attentive, unrelenting love in the heart of that father, who is always watching for the one who had wandered away. And what's important to that father is not the inheritance that the kid squandered, but his son, whom he wanted back. This is the priority that Jesus is articulating. The important thing is not the mistakes he made. The important thing is getting him back. And so when he made his move, he was going to do whatever he could to get him back. And you would have a party, wouldn't you? You would celebrate, wouldn't you? After you gave him a good talking to, maybe. <laughs> but note again, there's no lecture here. There's simply an outburst of joy. The fatted calf is slaughtered. Why do you have a fatted calf? Because you're waiting for a celebration down the road, something big. So the father says, this is the big thing. And so immediately, there's a celebration in the house. And poor Justin, they're having a party, and you're still working out in the field. They didn't even come and get you. That's not, that's, not, that's not good, is it? And so Justin here, he hears all the racket. The reggaeton is going from the house and everything else. And he's wondering what's going on. And one of the servants says, your brother came back home. And so your father's giving him a party. And there's Justin thinking, my brother who did all that bad stuff, my brother who left all that extra work for me. My brother gets a party. And Justin's thinking, I've been here all this time. I didn't get a party. I've done all this work. I didn't get a party. 
Here I am, I'm the good one, and I didn't get a party. And so he's not happy. And that's why he's not happy. And so note now, this son, who still has everything, is at the point of losing everything. He refuses to go into the house because he's not happy about the way his brother is received back. And so the father has to come out <coughs> and go find the other son now. Note the father has to move twice to both sons. And when he comes out, the good son, Justin, says, Dad, it's just not fair. Here I am. I did all the work for you. I obeyed you. I didn't go anywhere. And I don't even get to have a party with my friends. And this guy comes back. And you're ripping the neighborhood apart celebrating him. That's not right. And the father has to point something out to Justin. Remember when he... The younger one asked for the inheritance. Both guys got their inheritance. He could have had a party anytime he wanted. He was so busy being the good one and gritting his teeth that he couldn't enjoy what his father had already given him. He was so busy being the responsible one bearing down and being good in a grudging and angry way that he lost the ability to appreciate that he had everything he needed to have a party. He was at home with his father, but he stopped enjoying being at home. It's not that he's a bad guy, but he had lost the ability to live in communion with his father too without even realizing it. And that's when the father says to him, don't I have a right to my happiness? Don't I have a right to my joy? My joy is not about making you happy. My joy is my joy. And don't I have a right to celebrate my happiness in my house? What a marvelous question that is. The Pharisees are saying to Jesus, it's so unfair you're spending time with those who are worse than we are. And Jesus is saying to them, don't I have a right to love those I love? Don't I have a right to the joy of being with them? And you could share that joy. Again, note that example. The 99 sheep don't particularly care about the one that's lost, and they don't seem to celebrate. And so note what he is saying in the household of my father when we celebrate, the household celebrates. And so now, the father has to say to the good son, the older son, come inside. Come and join us. And he ends the story there. We don't know what the older son chooses. Does he stay outside because he's angry and because he's resentful? Or does he go inside? What a brilliant example the Lord puts in front of us. And how often it is we flatter ourselves with our goodness 
and yet we harbor a resentment, an anger within us that cuts us off from one another. And the Lord now is saying, both have to learn to come inside with me. The one who wanders must come back. And the one who has remained must open his heart and learn that love must animate faithfulness. What an important, important lesson. And because there are many riches in the house of the fathers here, <coughs> the laborers are worth their wage, and so your mom and dad can take you over to the snack bar later on, and those ice creams are on us. <coughs> Just to wrap things up, it's really good that we have these teachings from Jesus with us on this day. Because it's such a complicated cluster of feelings and attitudes that we have when we think about September 11th and everything that has happened in the wake of it. There is anger. There is resentment. There is frustration. There's a sense of what does forgiveness even mean? But there's also the example of those who went out to seek and to find others. The example of those who didn't throw their lives away, but gave their lives because they weren't going to risk a brother or a sister being lost. Then there were those who, in their hatred, allowed their hatred to carry them far from home, allowed their hatred to cause them to waste their lives and the lives of so many others for the sake of destroying an enemy, an inability to forgive. And that horrible attitude that somehow one gains heaven by killing his enemies. It's a deep and confusing set of things that we deal with on a day like this. And it's good that we pause and consider them and deal with them. But note again the Lord showing us how easy it is to allow those hardened attitudes of the heart to carry us away from goodness, to carry us away from our true home. It's not just a desire for pleasure. It's not just a reckless use of freedom. It can be resentment. It can be anger. But in the end, it all becomes prodigal and wasteful because we fail to appreciate the goodness of the life that God has given each and every one of us. How important it is then that we call upon heaven for forgiveness for our world which wanders so far away from goodness so easily and so naturally and so readily. And how important it is that we call upon heaven to strengthen those hearts that want to steal themselves to always stand for what is good, what is true, and what is right. Because we are that flock that Jesus has assembled of the lost sheep. And the ultimate lesson is that the members of the flock must likewise be concerned for the ones who have wandered. And why? We don't want any 
to be lost, however far that they do wander. And in just a few minutes, we'll come forward. We'll stretch out our hands. And how beautiful it is that we're going to come forward to Jesus, and like the father in that story, he's going to meet us on the way, right here. And we'll stretch out our hands, and we'll receive him into our hearts. But the simple fact of the matter is, it's not that we're going to carry Jesus away with us. Jesus comes to walk us home. He meets us on the way. And we receive him in this sacrament so that he can begin walking us all the way home to that eternal joy, that eternal goodness that he holds out for all of us. And what a wonderful gift that is. Amen. Please stand. The small cross that I am holding is made from steel from the towers that fell on September 11th. And you can see the damage and the heat that has been done to the metal. But note the beauty of this symbol, out of tragedy, there can be goodness. And why? Because Jesus, in taking on our flesh and in giving his life for us, brings the presence of God into the most tragic realities of our world. This is how far the Father goes to seek his children. So let us unite our hearts in prayer. Let us cling to the cross of faith. Let us consider all of those whose lives were ended all too early on that day. Let us consider those who continue to mourn for those that they lost, those who continue to bear in their bodies and in their spirits the consequences of that day. Let us consider our world, which is capable of taking life so cheaply. And let us pray for ourselves as the people of God, that we might be more fully committed to upholding the dignity of all human life and not being mastered by earthly anger. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Blessed are you, O Lord, God of mercy and giver of all good gifts. In Jesus, your Son, who gave his life for our salvation, you have given us a marvelous example of charity and have called us to follow the great commandment that we love one another with that very same love with which he has first loved us. Hear us, we pray, and send down your blessing upon us as we gather in memorial of the tragic loss of life and the heroic self-sacrifice of September 11, 2001. Grant us, O Lord, that peace which the world cannot give, so that our hearts may be inspired to stand in the strength of the gospel against all that would threaten the dignity of human life. Strengthen us, O Lord, with a spirit of true generosity, so that when we are called upon in times of need, we may faithfully serve you in our care for our neighbors. Bestow upon us, O Lord, 
the sure and certain hope and consolation that come from knowing that no power in this world is so great or so terrible that it can separate us from the immensity of your love, which comes to us in Jesus Christ. Receive into the peace of your kingdom, O Lord, the innocent whose lives were ended so abruptly by an act of terror, and those whose lives were so generously given in the work of saving others. Comfort their families in their loss, and bless us with your grace, that our lives may know and communicate the great and saving truth that through Jesus Christ, your Son, we have won the victory over death and have received the promise of a blessed inheritance of eternal joy in the light of your presence. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.